Welcome to the Much More Than Medicare broadcast. In today's broadcast, two real-life examples of why you shouldn't really be applying by yourself. And in addition to that, earlier today, the Supreme Court upheld the ACA. I'll try to make sense of it for everyday people if they just put on their common sense hat. I have been on radio stations from coast to coast, from Georgia to Seattle, really to talk about the Affordable Care Act and the fact that the enrollment deadline has been extended to August 15th. That date is approaching rapidly. Be sure to follow the link in the description below the video where you can get your estimate Lots of other videos also that say Biden care, et cetera, et cetera. Also a short clip on how to get the quote. I don't think it's a good idea to you do it yourself. We're going to get to that in a moment. The second part here before we get too deep into the weeds is don't forget about GH2 unfiltered. I'm in addition, as we head into the second half of this year, I'm going to be giving Medicare ABCs, which is my seminar, webinar, which explains Medicare soup to nuts. And on GH2 Unfiltered, it's the only place where I'm going to, repli- we're going to be providing it in public. It's the only place. It's a subscription site. I'm going to send you a copy of Maximize Your Medicare, the paperback edition. I can't send you the ebook. Right? I'm going to send you a copy of the paperback. Shipping included anywhere in the lower 48 for new subscribers. In addition to Medicare ABCs, there's lots of other educational information, other insights from me that I cannot share in public. And the simple reason is because out here on YouTube, someone watches for three seconds, takes away the wrong soundbite, pulls it out of context, says, this guy I saw on YouTube said X. Well, guess who's to blame when that pulled out of context comment gets wrongly applied. Bingo. The very last video, most recent video that I posted, I basically said, you know, you can try to apply for insurance by yourself. Whatever that policy is, et cetera, et cetera. You could try it by yourself. A follower had suggested to me that I had done such a good job of explaining things that, you know, gave people the confidence that, you know, doing it yourself was a good idea. I had to respond, um, you know, respectfully and thanking that person, which is still true. I appreciate that. By that same token, that isn't the full explanation that I intend. Let me formally say, I don't think it's a good idea to apply by yourself. And... Literally, since posting that, two new cases illustrate exactly why. Let's go to the first one. It's here. Mr. X. Mr. X has a wife and a child. Uh, Mr. X is 66 years old. Okay. 
So now what has happened here is the person says, you know, I'm going to go to an employer. I'm going to go to an employer that does not provide health insurance, and therefore I need to go on to Medicare. Understood, and let's just go and go to his underlying facts. So the timeline here is when 65, uh, you know, this person, employment, he was full-time employed at large employer. No problem. Okay, so yes, Mr. X can in fact delay enrollment because he's full-time employed at a large employer, wife, child covered under the group policy. Fine, everything's clear, right? This is the case in many, many locations throughout the United States. It's not going away, right? Because especially as people work beyond 65 and as full retirement age is, you know, obviously 60, um, higher than 65 going to 67. So when he, so now he's 66. So you can see when 65, the person was full-time employees. So Medicare, let's just go here, Medicare delayed. So sometime after turning, immediately turning 65, right? He changes employers. Okay, so let's just put a timeline in 65 plus two months. And that's not true. Mr. X, obviously his name is not, last name is not X. So after that, he has, so what ends up happening? So there's a waiting period for insurance, which is a very common thing, right? You, you go from job number one, you go to job number two, you have to wait for some waiting period before job number two covers you with health insurance, okay? So under Medicare, still delayed. Now, during this period, is this possible? Yes, it is. It is possible to delay. In between here, in between here and employment, right? There's this one month break, right? So in other words, job number two doesn't give him insurance until 65 plus two months. So there is in fact a break, okay? Now, under Medicare rules, there is an allowable eight month break, eight months. Beyond eight months, however, you've run out of time and late enrollment penalties for both Part B and Part D and part A all apply. They all apply, okay? So, and now we instead here, what ends up happening, let's just go to the next time frame, right? So he stays in this job and then after 65 plus 11 months, person decides to change jobs again. So I should have put employer number two here. Ugh. Uh, you'll, you'll excuse me. So, you know, waiting period. All right, and, that, and now there's another waiting period. And then the person gets insured. And now, however, he's gone to employer number four. So let's just 
call it employer number four. Okay, so again, delayed, it's fine, still covered. So you can see it here. Now I've gone to employer number four, and but employer number four doesn't provide health insurance benefits. This can happen. It could be a small employer that doesn't do it for, uh, that doesn't provide any health insurance benefits to anyone, for example. Okay. The person then tries to enroll in Medicare. And what happens is the person goes to SSA right, Social Security Administration, who is the sole arbiter, they're the sole determination agent to see about eligibility under Medicare. And what happens here is SSA tells him, tells Mr. X, he must wait until July of next year. Well, why is that? Because of the fact of this break due to these waiting periods. Oops, this one didn't have a waiting period. This waiting period of a month. So as a result of the waiting period of a month, late in, he gets told late enrollment period applies penalty applies, sorry. It's wrong. There's a problem, right? You can see it. So now you can see why what the here's the punchline to the first example. Right? There's nothing here as far as data. And this is still in process. Right? Person has switched employment on multiple occasions coverage has changed. There is this one month break while there's a waiting period here. That's not an eight month break. At no point in time is COBRA being used, right? Between 65 and 66 at no time. So basically what is being told by the SSA as they try to enroll in Medicare over here in this cell Right, I oh, 10 on your screen. SSA person over the phone tells Mr. X, yeah, you can enroll, but part B doesn't go into effect all the way until July of 2022. Now, A, not part A, number one, if in fact he had a greater than eight month break in health insurance coverage from the time he turned 65, the answer to that is correct. SSA would be right. And then you have to wait until January through March of 2022. And then even then it doesn't take effect until July of 2022. That would be correct. But Somehow there's been a disconnect between Mr. X and the Social Security Administration. This timeline, 
Mr. X and SSA is not on the same page as far as these dates and the coverage during this period. So as a result, this result here is wrong. The point is here, put yourself in Mr. Sh Mr. X's shoes. Because Mr. X is a person who has done the right things here. He's done nothing wrong. And the issue here is that Mr. X been told wrongly by SSA, but he's not expected to know. He just takes it on the faith. This is a government official saying this is what they believe to be the case and that you have this late enrollment penalty, etc., etc. What if all of that is wrong? How would you even be able to unwind or discover this fact? You just take it as fact. It's a tell to, so we're in the middle of it now. I'll give a postmortem, hopefully a successful one. So in the absence of a new fact that I haven't presented here, one that I would not know, Social Security Administration has come to the wrong conclusion here. You as a private person, the likelihood of you uncovering this and being able to be armed with the right information in order to debate this with Social Security Administration and then file an appeal if required, what's the likelihood of that? Low at best. Just example number one of why doing it yourself, not the best idea. Let's take a look at case number two. So case number two is also alive. Mr. and Mrs. Z. Mrs. Z is turning, 60, turning 65, currently employed at a large employer. So the fact is here, right, the date of birth is, let's just call it August 8th. Congratulations to her. In Chinese, she would be a very fortunate person. August 8th. The question is, what date does coverage end at the employer? Now, this is a small detail here, but an important one, right? Because the reality is, is that she wants to retire on her birthday. Here's the fact. The employer can end coverage right at the, as soon as she walks out the door on August 8th. There's no restriction to this. They will get a refund, for example, for those unused dates. In addition to that, right, different employers have different policies. I don't have a say here. There's no written rule here, right? There's not a federal regulation to protect Mrs. Z through the end of August. There isn't. This is the kind of unknown fact to Mrs. Z that you couldn't reasonably expect her to know. Why would she know? Hopefully Mrs. Z has better stuff to do.
that concern herself with this minutia that Jay knows, right? I mean, so because why, why does this matter? Because it affects the Medicare coverage date. Right, this affects the day that she would want to turn on her Medicare, basically, because it could be August 1st if, for example, I'm moving in the past, let's say, for example, it ended right on August 8th, but she was determined to end on August 8th or August 7th, right? Now you would have a lapse of coverage if you don't set it on August 1st, right? You'd have to bite the bullet of being double covered from August 1st. That can happen, right? I'm not saying that that's the path. What else could happen? Well, the, the fact of the matter is this employer could end coverage at the end of August, in which case her coverage date is September 21. She can then request a different coverage date for both Part A and Part B or Part A on August 1 and then Part B on September 1. For expediency's sake, I usually tell people, hey, let's just make them both on September 1. It'll be fine because you're covered for Part A under your employer coverage, you know, during August. But this is the kind of fact because in addition to some of that is that based on her compensation and the way that it works, for example, the employer could have been paying 100% of her premium. The employer could have been making contributions to an HSA. The employer could have given her other types of compensation to defray for cost or FSA, et cetera, et cetera. There could be other details here on why she would want to have coverage begin on September 1, in addition to the fact that she would save herself the $148.50, which is the part to be premium. That's for Mrs. Z. For Mr. Z, a different one, right? So in this case, the employer is going through M&A. Not that fun. I'm sure many people in the audience uh, listening, watching, it's no fun, right? You got a new organization. You don't know who's doing what, et cetera, et cetera. Mr. Z says, like, look, I'm out. Let's just retire now. Rather have to go through all these these machinations. Totally reasonable. Totally reasonable. Right? The issue here now is the fact that let's just say Mr. Z is a valued employee and his departure is secret. Now what? The issue here is additional forms need to be completed by the employer. Right? So now the fact is, is that maybe Mr. Z doesn't want to tell the HR department yet. Okay? Doesn't want to say. So in fact, the conversation between myself and Mr. Z is, okay, when's that date going to be? 
What's the date of retirement? When does your coverage end? Just like Mrs. Z, right? When does your coverage end? So that we can correctly set these Medicare coverage dates. And need evidence of coverage. Meaning, so not only does this affect kind of the coverage date of turning on part B, because he has part A, he's 66. So he has part A as a result of a Medicare card. It just says part A. That's totally fine. The question is part B. Because in order to avoid the late enrollment penalty and also not have a break in coverage, and also to not be refused by either the Medicare Advantage carrier or the Medigap carrier or the Part D carrier, we need to have these pieces of evidence. The fact is, is that if you're not, if you don't know that you need to have this evidence like organized in a spot in advance, all of your timing here is now affected. Right, so you can see what ends up happening is, unfortunately, we didn't know each other three months ago. We didn't. We're now here today. I'm dealing with the cards as dealt, right? Which, which is doable, which is doable. And ultimately, the outcome will be in the favor of Mr. Z. The federal regulations are clear. The carriers ultimately will follow them. But it's going to feel like, why am I being asked all these other questions, et cetera, et cetera, because the, they need evidence. You need evidence of coverage to avoid penalties and guarantee acceptance. Right. The federal rules are set up in the, fav in the, in the favor of the buyer. It's a theme that runs through Maximize Your Medicare, my book, available on Amazon.com. Uh, it is also in a lot of other videos here on the channel. Be sure to like and subscribe. These aren't new themes. These are just simply new examples because I can understand their skepticism. You, you know, I don't want to reach out to Jay. He seems annoying. You know, he's got a name, you know. He's a snake oil salesperson, a long other list of objections you could possibly have, to which I'm going to say, well, okay, well, take a number, go to the end of that very long line. Uh, you'll be waiting for a while in order to lodge your complaint. That's fine. That's fine. That all said, you can see in Mr. And Mrs. Z's case, Mr. X's case, that there are reasons. And this is just a, the simple set. This is the simple set. And this is not going away. People are working beyond 65. There's all sorts of employment situations which are going to change. There's COBRA involved. There can be situations that, which I've mentioned on an interview with a, with, a, with a Medicare beneficiary, which is out there, where we intentionally used COBRA. Intentionally. SSA person says, 
this year have a late enrollment penalty. I prepared that person because I knew him a year in advance and basically said, this is what an anticipated pushback will be. Be sure to slam your stake in the ground here because they're going to be wrong. That's exactly what happened. SSA person tells them, hey, you've got a late enrollment penalty. Client says, who has reached out to me and I had already prepared that person said, if this happens, you respond this way. And by the way, that may mean their supervisor. Sure enough, supervisor comes in and says, oh yeah, you're right. Not a surprise. You can imagine how unsettling it would be without proper guidance in advance. I'm not here to settle political differences. I'm not here to convince you one way or the other whether or not the Affordable Care Act is a good thing. I've already reviewed all of this, the good and the bad. You can look back at other videos. You can look back at the newsletter. You'll be able to find the breadcrumbs that I've left everywhere along the way over the past years. The other day, the Supreme Court dismissed yet another challenge to the Affordable Care Act. You can see it there on the screen. Court sidestepped the larger issue in the case, whether the health care can stand without a provision what that required most Americans to obtain insurance or pay a penalty. So let's just review the Affordable Care Act. Now, again, I'm trying to keep away from the inland sludge of a lake, right? Which is that I'm not going to be dragged into whether or not it's good or bad. I am, however in a good spot to tell you, you know, my perspective on the way that the Affordable Care Act works and what or, you know, who has done well, who has not. Okay. So number one, the Affordable Care Act is a tax. You make more, you have to pay more for health insurance. You make less, you can pay less for health insurance as a result of the fact there's the advanced premium tax credit that's been expanded under President Biden. Lots of videos called Biden Care here on broadcast on this channel. Go ahead and read those, see those after you're done with this one. Affordable Care Act's the tax. Higher income, higher payments. Lower income, lower payments. Right? Looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, duck. That's it. We don't need sophisticated analysis to understand this. Number two. The federal government has the right to tax. You know, the opposition said, well, this is not fair. You shouldn't do this. It increases cost. Yeah, Th that to me is irrelevant. The fact of the matter is the government has the right to tax. And we as everyday citizens don't really have much to say except to vote out Congress or to vote out the president in order so that those taxes aren't levied. Very, very simple, right? Which is, I may not agree with a dollar going to, you know, some African country for and to give them military assistance, yet I'm sure that happens without me having a say. Number three... The president that proposed the Affordable Care Act, President Obama, told an intentional untruth when he said, 
If you like your health insurance, you can keep your health insurance. As someone who has posted videos about the technical workings of how insurance must work, not may kinda, so must work, right? There's no way that that president didn't know it was an untruth. No way. I find that unbelievable. It's kind of like, okay, Roger Goodell, oh, we didn't have access to the Ray Wright tapes. <laughs> Come on. Right? In other words, you know, to a, yeah, maybe a kindergartner could have thought that, oh, well, you can keep your health insurance, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. This president graduated from Harvard Law School. This president has academic command of high level of details. Love or hate the ex-president, President Obama, we have to stand back and say, look, you can like or dislike the person. No, there, there's very little question about his academic chops and his ability to command detail at a high level. So to get that fact wrong, <laughs> no, no. Politica, PolitiFact, as you can see here on the screen, yes, called him out, lie of the year. Okay? Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. The flip side of that same coin is equally loaded with incredible stuff, right? So on one hand, you had the proponent saying, you know, the federal government has the right to tax. The president said, tried to market it as, look, you can keep, if you like your health plan, you can keep your health plan. Okay, the opposition, what'd they do? The opposition gets F minus at best. I'm being generous at F minus, okay? Number one, they tried to call it non-constitutional. You know, it, it's a very important thing to know who the opposition actually is. So now it's like me. I used to play tennis when I was a kid. It's like me saying, okay, I'm going to challenge a squash player at a high level to play squash when I was in high school. That would have been insane, right? Because while tennis may look like squash, it's not squash. <laughs> it, it really isn't, right? The skills are different. The speed is different. So Congress said, okay, well, you know, this, you know, President Obama, young guy, you know, he's just a, a lawyer. We're a lawyer. Yeah, this particular lawyer is particularly schooled in constitutional law. And oh yeah, by the way, lecture at the University of Chicago Law School in that area. What are you doing, opposition? Seriously. This is as if me go walking up to the squash champion and saying, hey, I'm great at racket sports. Let's play squash. I'm going to win. No, you're not. This is bad. It, oh, by the way, it gets worse. Because there was no viable, rational, coherent alternative. The Affordable Care Act had this feature which says that you cannot deny applications due to pre-existing condition. Immediately, they put the opposition on the back foot. Immediately. Why? Because some members of the opposition know somebody that has type 1 diabetes, for sure. Well, guess what? Under the old health insurance regime, that person rejected. Now, under the Affordable Care Act, must be accepted. So now, the opposition, you could see, they got put on the back foot. Very clear. 
They're sitting there trying to play squash when they're, they're a tennis person. They didn't have an alternative plan, and as a result, they end up being labeled as baby killer. In other words, they got outsmarted. And as a result of that, right, we can keep going on and on through time. And basically what ends up happening is the opposition didn't have a plan to oppose. It's fine to, to you know, complain and to whine and to make certain statements which were true, like costs much higher under the Affordable Care Act. There's arithmetic reason for it, by the way. But you can see that is all marketable and understandable. However, when you have no backup plan, how do you get the toothpaste back into the tube? We've never had that at the federal level. We've never put in, put back the toothpaste back in. So, as a result of that, the Affordable Care Act survives. What shouldn't we also do? Let's just back up here. Number one, please keep your politics to the side, right? Humana is never going to ask you for your political party when you're applying for health insurance. Never. Okay. Number two, if you're a 55-year-old male, there are going to be features in those plans which create higher prices. For example, if you're a 55-year-old male, the idea that you're going to need prenatal and postnatal care, right, is low, to say the least. You're still paying it. It's stuffed in there into the compliant plan set, right? That is true. That is true. So what ends up happening now is now the people who have said, well, the Affordable Care Act is the law of the land. True. Supreme Court has said it not once, not twice, three times, three times, right? And what they end up saying is going to be taking, then again, victory laps and then saying false credit. So basically what happens is supporters during the 2020 election, they tried to call this a mandate on the Affordable Care Act. Nah, you could see prior posts, prior videos. I was not under that thought. I didn't think that this third case was going to win. I immediately, I even doubled down on that position as soon as we heard the Q&A, where it was clear that the Supreme Court's like, is this, this is none of our business. Didn't you read the first case? We already said, hey, this is a tax. They said it gracefully. This is a tax. Congress has the right to tax. It's their problem over there. Executive and legislative branches, not over here at the judicial branch. Get out of here. Right. And so as soon as this third case started up, the chief justice, Chief Justice Roberts, protecting the Supreme Court gracefully, puts him right back on the back foot. Hey, didn't we already discuss this? That's so you can see what ends up happening is everyone is trying to use some little snippet of evidence as, you know, evidence of their side. So there's also been hysteria used for other means, right? Which is the past election wasn't going to change this case. Just wasn't, right? A second thing here is the 
people that support the Affordable Care Act are going to be taking the victory lap to say, well, see, as a result, rates are stabilized. No, that's taking false, again, false credit, right? It is simply that the sellers, insurance companies got used to the math. They simply got used to it. So you can remember when it got enacted and you had the healthcare.gov, right? All of a sudden, bunches of carriers left the area. They rationally did so. Why? They couldn't tell who was going to be signing up for insurance. Is it going to be a bunch of Mr. Perfects? Is it going to be a bunch of Job of the Huts? And then they were asked to set the price in the dark. So let's just cross out insurance for a moment. Let's say you're a corn farmer and you've got to agree to a price of the next season's corn. You don't get to change it and you get no context of what that price is compared to the other farmers. And oh yeah, by the way, you've got to be giving your silent auction offer to the grocery store. You have no control over the inputs and you just don't know the way the math works out. Would you then actually even giving an offer to the grocery store? Probably not. Some of you will just like say, no, we pass. We'll just sell it on the corner stand, you know, on the road or go to the local vegetable market, outdoor, you know, farmer's market where we get to change the price, right? Isn't that, I mean... I'm not using actuarial science here. I'm using common sense. Nevertheless, that's exactly what happened under the Affordable Care Act. And that's why at the beginning, because the, the sellers couldn't control and couldn't have any evidence to measure or estimate the population of people that would be enrolling, they can't find the price. Well, guess what? Time has passed and they've been able to calculate so what do you have now? You've got more stable rates as more sellers enter the market and increase the competition. Okay. The supporters of the Affordable Care Act see this is overwhelming evidence that it works. Okay. Yeah. But you said that that was going to be in place right from the jump. It took all the way until now, until the sellers got a handle of the numbers. So on and on it'll go. There's going to continue to be crossfire. Okay. For everyday people, I'm always encouraging, try to not get pulled into politically tinged debates. The other day I was on Fox Radio News on, on a radio tour. Okay. And depending on the, the locations, we had these people who want to make it a political conversation. And I was just like, no, no, you know, trying to dodge that bullet and try to get back to what you everyday people have the right to do, when, what your options look like, and then the price. Those are the signals that you require. And from there, well, then you can make a choice of what fits you, your family, your situation. And then ultimately, I'm again running a 7-Eleven. Big Red, Wrigley Spearmint, Trident, I'm agnostic there. I don't control the price that I can sell those, right? Whatever fits you, I'm game as long as you understand the risks involved.